0: Join us now for Health for Life, brought to you by Hamilton Healthcare System. Today, we're talking with Dr. Emily Brandt of Anna Shaw Children's Institute in Dalton. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Brandt.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Dr. Brandt is a board-certified child development pediatrician at Anna Shaw Children's Institute, located at 1201 Burleson Road behind Hamilton Medical Center in Dalton, Georgia. She, Dr. Carnavali, and Dr. Anderson specialize in attention disorders, autism spectrum disorders, behavioral and developmental challenges and more. Dr. Brant graduated from Southern Adventist University and then attended medical school and completed her internship and residency at Loma Linda University. She obtained her fellowship in developmental behavioral pediatrics at the University of Iowa. Dr. Brandt has cared for children with developmental delays and has assisted with educating medical students, pediatric residents, and child psychiatry residents during her fellowship at the University of Iowa and as a member of the faculty at the University of Tennessee College of Medicine in Chattanooga. Today, we're going to talk about autism spectrum disorders. What exactly is autism, and can you give us a good definition and an overview of autism?
1: So, an autism spectrum disorder is a diagnosis characterized by challenges with social and communication skills, as well as repetitive behaviors and interests. We'll talk in more detail about that later, but while there are consistent categories of symptoms that I just mentioned, each person with autism has a unique set of strengths and challenges within those categories. The ways in which people with autism learn, think, and problem-solve in their daily life can range from highly skilled to very challenged. Some people with autism may require significant support in their daily lives, while others may need less support or live entirely independently. Signs of autism usually appear by age 2 to 3, although some may appear earlier or later. And it's important to seek help for these delays early, since research shows that Early intervention may lead to positive outcomes later in life for people with autism.
0: So the earlier, the better.
1: Absolutely.
0: What are some of the signs of autism that families could be watching for?
1: Earlier, I mentioned two categories, specifically social and communication challenges, and then the repetitive and restricted interests. So when we're thinking about the social and communication challenges, it can look like some of the following challenges. Difficulty approaching other children and making friends. Difficulty holding a back and forth conversation or answering questions. Sometimes just repeating a question rather than answering it. Or potentially not being able to speak at all. They may have difficulty responding when their name is called or actually be uncomfortable making eye contact. And then having difficulty understanding facial expressions or cues like being able to tell when another child wants to play or when someone is sad, Mm. as well as difficulty sharing pretend play with another child or adult. So these are some things that we may see on the social and communication side. Then there's the category of the limited interests or repetitive behaviors. And we see things like repetitive body movements, like rocking, running in circles for a long time, or making the same hand motion over and over. They may show unusual ways of playing with toys, like just lining them up or organizing them. Maybe even preferring to organize random things like canned foods rather than play with toys.
0: Wow, really?
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Repeating things over and over, like commercials or Songs, Maybe something that some of our children enjoy. Um, They may want to really keep the same routine every day, such as greeting every child in their class exactly the same way every morning or becoming upset if they have to drive a different way home from school. They may also have really strong interests, such as only being interested in one type of toy or an idea, like only wanting to talk about recycling. And they may have some strong responses to things like smell or touch or sound. So that's the other side, like I said, some of the challenges that we can see on the restricted interests and repetitive behaviors side.
0: We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to be talking about possible causes of autism. We'll be right back on Health for Life.
2: Join us on a journey to better health. Health for Life. Simply put, that is why Hamilton Medical Center is here. From primary care and specialty care practices near you, an accredited chest pain center, a certified joint replacement program, a new Children's Institute, Cancer Institute, Endoscopy Center, and more. Hamilton is here for you and your family. Learn more at HamiltonHealth.com. Hamilton Healthcare System, Health for Life.
0: Welcome back to Health for Life. Today we're talking with Dr. Emily Brandt of the Anna Shaw Children's Institute. We're talking about autism. Dr. Brandt, uh, is autism common
1: Well, in the most recent survey in 2016, they found that about one in every 54 children has autism. We can compare that to studies that show something like one in every six children have some sort of developmental delay, such as speech problems or motor problems. So, yes, it is common, but there are certainly a lot of other challenges. We also see autism being four times more common in boys than in girls. So, wow.
0: Now, why do you think that is?
1: Well, that's something that we're still trying to research and understand better.
0: Four times more common in boys than girls. Yes. Are those rates rising?
1: When you look at the rates of autism in the population, you can see that it has been rising over the last 30 years. This is partially because it's a relatively new diagnosis. The first child with autism was only described in 1943. And autism only became an official diagnosis in 1980. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that it didn't occur before 1943. It's just more likely that those individuals with symptoms of autism were diagnosed with intellectual problems or other behavior problems before families and providers realized that autism was its own special set of symptoms and could be approached in its own way. Then, in 1991, it was listed as a diagnosis that qualified children for special education services, And in 1994, the definition of autism became broader, which allowed more people to qualify for the diagnosis. In the early 2000s, the American Academy of Pediatrics recommended screening for children with developmental delays and then specifically screening for autism a few years later. And this combination of carefully asking about a child's development and looking for signs of autism in young children has helped many children receive the diagnosis that would have been missed otherwise. Therefore, the combination of these increased services and supports in schools, better guidelines, recognizing that more people fit in the picture of autism, and careful screening by healthcare providers has resulted in a significant increase in the number of children who get an autism diagnosis.
0: Well, do we know the causes of autism?
1: Well, when talking about causes of autism, the first question that always comes up is whether vaccines are a part of the cause. For a while, concerns were raised about something called thimerosal, a preservative that was used to stabilize some vaccines, but this was removed from almost all vaccines children might take in 2001, and the rates of autism continue to rise, so that wouldn't seem to be a factor. Many studies have now been done to look at whether vaccines have an impact on the diagnosis of an autism spectrum disorder. Many families would like to look at this data themselves, and the American Academy of Pediatrics has put together a list of dozens of studies that families may be interested in reviewing. You can search the title Vaccine Safety, Examine the Evidence to find a list of those studies at HealthyChildren.org. Or, as a summary, Dr. Brian King of Seattle Children's Hospital described in an editorial for the American Medical Association, saying, taken together, some dozen studies have now shown that the age of onset of autism doesn't differ between vaccinated and unvaccinated children. The severity or the course of autism does not differ between vaccinated and unvaccinated children. And now the risk of recurrence in families does not differ between vaccinated and unvaccinated children. So hopefully that can help families feel a little bit safer in future.
0: Well, I agree 100%. What was that site again they need to go to or how they would search for that on Google?
1: Absolutely. It's called healthychildren.org and search for the title vaccine safety, examine the evidence.
0: So we've learned that vaccines don't cause autism? Do we know what does cause autism?
1: Well, the research has shown a number of things that could give a child a higher risk of autism, although it doesn't happen every time these risks are present. This includes things like having older parents, Um, Parents taking medications like valproic acid and thalidomide during pregnancy, maternal to child allergies or psoriasis or eczema, as well as things like pregnancy very quickly after the last pregnancy, so less than 18 months or a long time later, more than 60 months. There are even concerns of a possible association between mothers pre-pregnancy weight and weight gain during pregnancy, possibly because of the genes that have been linked to autism are of the insulin pathway.
0: So do genetics play a role?
1: Yes, we see strong evidence that our genes or our DNA plays a role in causing autism, like it determines our height and hair color and many other characteristics. One way we can tell this is that often multiple family members in the same family have autism symptoms. In fact, if a family has one child with autism, they may have up to a 20% chance of having a second child with autism. And when we look at studies of twins, for non-identical twins, if one has autism, the other twin has autism about 30% of the time compared to identical twins who share the same DNA. Then if one twin has autism, the other twin has autism over 30 up to 95% of the time. So a much higher risk. So we know that it often runs in families and this would be because they are passing down the same DNA or genes.
0: So how would these genes actually cause autism?
1: Well, there are many different genes that have been linked to autism. The National Library of Medicine has a helpful description of these changes that families can look at. But basically... We see studies that indicate that some people with autism have more neurons or nerve cells than normal, or areas where the normal structure of the layers of the brain is disturbed. Many of these neurons or brain changes occur in the frontal or the temporal lobes, and these are the areas of the brain that impact emotions, social behavior, and language which makes sense with what we see in individuals with autism. Now, exactly how these changes and other genes relate to the development of autism isn't known, but different people with autism have different genes that are affected, and many of the genes that are disrupted or missing in people with autism are involved in the development of the brain. The proteins that are supposed to be produced from these genes affect multiple areas of brain development, like the production of neurons, the growth, and the organization of nerve cells. Therefore, the changes in those genes can change how the brain develops and functions, resulting in the changes we see with autism.
0: Well, how is autism diagnosed?
1: Most often, it starts with screening with a child's primary care provider, either something called the MCHAT, or when the family comes in mentally, mentioning concerns that they've had. Often the pediatrician will check the child's hearing and vision to make sure that that isn't having an impact. And then they'll often refer for a medical visit with a neurodevelopmental pediatrician, a neurologist, or a psychiatrist. Then they may recommend testing with a psychologist that would include both tests of how the child interacts with the examiner, as well as looking at reports the parents give and maybe the teachers as well, so that they can see how the child is acting at home and at school. While the testing can be done pretty early, sometimes as young as two years of age, many children are still diagnosed after four as more challenges are recognized. There aren't any blood or brain scans that can currently tell if a person has autism, although many different things are being tested including some exciting things like the eye gaze trackers that look at a child's eyes and where they focus on pictures or situations and those may be able to identify autism in very young children but they're still being tested and they aren't available yet for general use.
0: That is very interesting information. Uh, We're going to take a quick break and when we come back we're going to discuss how autism is treated. We'll be right back on Health for Life.
2: If you're in need of medical care, don't delay. Your health won't wait. Hamilton Medical Center is ready to care for you. We are following CDC guidelines. Patients and guests are screened for COVID-19 symptoms. Those who are suspected to have the virus are treated in a separate area. Plus, Hamilton's high-powered UV light robots eliminate 99.9% of bacteria and viruses on surfaces. Please do not delay medical care. Your health won't wait. As always, Hamilton is here for you.
0: Welcome back to Health for Life. Today, we're talking with Dr. Emily Brandt of Anna Shaw Children's Institute. We're talking about autism. Dr. Brandt, how is autism treated?
1: Well, the first thing that can be done when concerns are found, even before a child has an official diagnosis, is to get involved in therapy to help with the specific challenges they're dealing with, such as difficulty with their speech, how they eat, how they touch things. So from Birth to age 3, the Georgia program Babies Can't Wait can do an evaluation and provide help connecting to services if those are needed. This program has different names in different states, so if you're from somewhere different, you may hear a different name locally. After age 3, the school system will provide therapy or special learning supports if the child needs them. And here in Georgia, there's a program called Children First that helps connect families to services between birth and age five. And you can call them at 800-300-9003 to get connected to some of these types of services. And
0: what's that called again?
1: It's called Children First, mm-hmm. and the phone number is 800-300-9003. Now, a child can also get involved in private therapy covered through their insurance. This can include quite a few different types of therapy, depending on what types of challenges the child is having. For instance, speech therapy helps children learn to communicate using signs or pictures or words. They can even help how to learn how to have a conversation. Occupational therapy can work on sensory challenges, difficulty with activities like dressing, how to handle toys correctly, things like that. Mm -hmm. Physical therapy might work on their strength, their balance, or challenges like toe walking that we can see with autism. Feeding therapy can help with things like how to safely chew and swallow, or potentially adjusting to different types and textures of foods that might be uncomfortable for a child. Another type of therapy is called ABA or Applied Behavior Analysis. This helps by breaking down skills into small steps and rewarding those small steps to help a child learn new skills like how to brush their teeth or help them avoid harmful behavior like hitting themselves or help them learn how to follow directions. Family therapy or cognitive behavioral therapy can help people learn how to process emotions differently, find ways to help with problem behaviors, and provide supports for their families. And then another type of therapy is called social skills therapy that works to help teach children how to interact with each other. So there are a lot of different options depending on the specific needs of that child.
0: Are there medicines that can help with autism?
1: Well, there are no current medications that specifically help with autism's core symptoms. But there are medications that are being tested. If families are interested in participating in a trial, they could look for information at centers like Vanderbilt Kennedy Center or Duke University. What we do have is medications that help with challenges that some individuals with autism deal with, such as aggressive behavior. And families will need to work closely with their provider, watching how it's helping and watching for side effects if they need something like that.
0: What about alternative medication? Uh, Are there alternative medicines that can help?
1: Well, there are a lot of different alternative potential medications that families have heard about. Um, Many people ask about the use of CBD oil to help their children. Unfortunately, the research is very limited as we wait for the results of two large studies, one in New York and one in Israel. The state of Georgia has a program to issue a card to qualifying people so they can legally have a certain amount of low THC oil in their possession if they qualify. And if you want more information about that, it's available on the Georgia Department of Public Health website. To get the card, families must sign a waiver saying that they understand that this is not FDA approved, that the benefits are not known, and that it may cause harm. And similar to that, there are many, many alternative therapies that have been proposed, but there's limited high-quality research about most of those therapies. Also, for many therapies, one study may show benefit and then another does not. So families need to be very careful. Usually what I recommend that families do is to research the possible side effects and interactions with other medications that a new treatment might have, A good resource is the NIH National Center for Complementary and Integrative Health. Then I recommend only trying one new thing at a time so you can tell what's really helping and what might be causing side effects. Also, it helps to get feedback from family or teachers or therapists to get another view of what's actually helping and if they're seeing any side effects too.
0: Can different foods help?
1: That's another common question that we get. Many different diets have been proposed, including trying to avoid gluten, dairy, soy, red dyes, and sugars, to name a few. When they do studies of large groups of individuals with autism, they don't see consistent benefit across the whole group from one of these diets. Mm -hmm. But if a family is seeing a regular issue with a particular food, they should talk to their primary care provider about testing and whether it would be safe to stay away from that food for a while. Now, it's important to be careful since many individuals with autism have a limited diet already and taking away one of the few foods that they're willing to eat may impact their nutrition.
0: Are there certain strategies that parents and caregivers can use when interacting with children who have been diagnosed with autism.
1: Absolutely. One strategy that families can use is to try to use visual communication with signs or pictures or written lists to show them what they need to do. Having a schedule that a child can see as they go through the day can help them be less stressed when they know what activities are coming up. Using social stories is another great way to help children know what to expect when they need to do something new. So those involve putting together a set of pictures, showing them what to expect, like when they're going to a new school or a doctor's office, and it can help them be less scared of the unknown.
0: Are there any safety tips?
1: Well, we do sometimes have challenges with what's called elopement or running away with children with autism. There are some supports that can help, such as door alarms or GPS trackers. And having something simple like a wrist bracelet with the child's name and family's contact information is important in case the child may be overwhelmed and not able to tell other people that safety information.
0: What about mealtime? Do you have any helpful guidelines when it comes to mealtime?
1: Mealtimes can be very challenging for children with autism who may be very picky or uncomfortable with the taste or smell or feel of different foods. First, it's always important to check for medical problems like reflux or allergies. Then it can help to introduce the same food over and over, letting a child play with it or cook it before they even try to taste it. Giving them some of the same things over and over can make it part of the routine that they're more comfortable with then. And trying to cook or cut it different ways may also let them find a way that they're more comfortable eating it, For instance, one child may prefer raw baby carrots that they can have that are crunchy and that are finger foods, whereas another child may like them cooked so they're softer or eating them with a fork so they don't actually have to touch them. So you may have to try a lot of different ways to introduce the same food before you find one that they'll be comfortable with.
0: Well, that makes sense. A lot of useful information. When we come back from a short break, we're going to talk a little about Anishal Children's Institute and the services that you offer offer. We'll be right back on Health for Life.
2: Join us on a journey to better health. Health for life. Simply put, that is why Hamilton Medical Center is here. From primary care and specialty care practices near you, an accredited chest pain center, a certified joint replacement program, a new children's institute, cancer institute, endoscopy center, and more. Hamilton is here for you and your family. Learn more at hamiltonhealth.com. Hamilton Health Care System, Health for Life.
0: Welcome back to Health for Life. We're talking with Dr. Emily Brandt of Anna Shaw Children's Institute about autism. Dr. Brandt, can you tell us all about Anna Shaw Children's Institute?
1: Sure. Anna Shaw Children's Institute is dedicated to the memory of Anna Sue Shaw, and it's a regional center for the care of children, birth to age 11, who experience the challenges of developmental delays. The Institute opened in the spring of 2019, but plans for this incredible facility began years beforehand. Part of the planning was conducted by the Anna Shaw Children's Institute Advisory Council. This council helps supply ideas for many of the special features at the Institute. The building was actually inspired by the style of a treehouse and reflects the beauty of the North Georgia mountains. Once inside, you experience the true magic of the Institute, the children, the families, and the providers who join together together as champions in this unique place.
0: So we've learned a little about Anna Schall Children's Institute, but can you tell me about some of the specific providers and the services that are offered?
1: The Institute's team includes another developmental behavioral pediatrician and myself, as well as child psychologists, physical, occupational, speech, feeding, and music therapists, and behavior analysts providing many of the supports that we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. Evaluations are conducted at the Institute to understand each child's individual skill set and to identify appropriate therapy services to maximize the child's development. A treatment navigator, a dedicated institute employee, is available to help support families through the diagnostic process and treatment processes and connect them to resources that they may need in the community.
0: Thank you so much for sharing all this great information with us today. If you could leave our listeners with one word of advice before you leave, what would that be?
1: That would definitely be to talk to your pediatrician or primary care provider about any concerns you have as early as possible.
0: For more information about Anishal Children's Institute, call this number 706-226-8900 or visit hamiltonhealth.com slash children. For an appointment at the Institute, please ask your child's pediatrician for a referral. This program in no way seeks to diagnose or treat illness or replace professional medical care. Please see your health care provider if you have a health problem.
2: If you're in need of medical care, don't delay. Your health won't wait. Hamilton Medical Center is ready to care for you. We are following CDC guidelines. Patients and guests are screened for COVID-19 symptoms. Those who are suspected to have the virus are treated in a separate area. Plus, Hamilton's high-powered UV light robots eliminate 99.9% of bacteria and viruses on surfaces. Please do not delay medical care. Your health won't wait. As always, Hamilton is here
0: for you. Thank you for listening to Health for Life, a presentation of Hamilton Healthcare System.